0: If you can turn to Isaiah chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the back, so it's a good time to go get it now. But if you can open up to Isaiah chapter 5, it's page 612 in my Bible, but I'm sure it's something different in yours. That was a joke. I'm sorry. I, I, I see that it's too early in the morning. <laughs> it's <a> crack jokes. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, Isaiah chapter five. We're going to read verses one and two and verse seven. Isaiah chapter five, verses one and two and verse seven. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it, and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes. But it yielded only bad fruit. So if we can skip down all the way to verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Well, at its heart, the Bible's account of God's affair with the world is a love story. In verse one, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. I there, of course, is God himself. And the vineyard is the nation of Israel. He sings in love for Israel. He cares for it. He digs the earth, clears of the stones and plants the vine with care. He watches over it and looks forward to the crop. And he builds a wine press so to enjoy the fruit of it all. He looked for choicest grapes, but the vineyard yielded only bad fruit. He looked for justice, but only bloodshed, so only bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. In the Old Testament, um, Israel is repeatedly described as the vine. It's in Psalm 80. Jeremiah 2, Ezekiel 15:1719 and Hosea 10 as well, but in all of them, Israel is described as bad vine, vine that does not bear fruit. God toils and works hard, but it does not uh, bear any good fruit, to no avail. After years of toiling, he's awarded, rewarded with only sour grapes. And in some ways, that is how the Old Testament ends. Malachi. The last book of the Old Testament is filled with, uh, uh, complaints. People, it deals with people bringing bad sacrifices to God. Problems of divorce. That's the, uh, the book that has I, uh, God, uh, the verse, I hate divorce. Uh, idolatry. People criticizing God for God's injustice. But people not giving what God deserves. That's what Malachi really is about. God loves. But the vineyard does not produce any fruit but in any good love story the main character does not give up he finds a way in the in the bible story god sends his son and that's where we come to john 15 he stands just before his arrest and crucifixion and stands in the middle middle of the night and declares i am the vine, And you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. That's verse 5. 15 verse 5. God does the only thing that would allow God's people to bear fruit, which is sending his son. Him becoming the vine. So we can attach ourselves to him and feed from him, receive his life, his spirit, his power, so we may be able to bear fruit, as we were meant to do, as Israel was meant to do. So remaining in Christ is the most important thing that we can do as individuals. It's more important than whether you come to Sunday service or not. More important than how much you give in your offering basket. More important than... Uh, How sincerely, how passionately you sang your last song. Being attached to Jesus Christ is more important than all of those things combined and all the things that we would do as individuals. But this passage, John 15, isn't just for individuals. This is for us as a church as well. Remaining in Christ is more important than whether we, we grow inside or not whether we worship in this uh, school for the rest of our time, or actually we worship in a church building of our own, whether, um, uh, certainly more important than any programs that will run here, remaining in Christ, being attached to him, is the most important thing that we can do. It's of utmost, mo- utmost importance, because only then, only if we remain In him, we will bear his fruit. And did you notice that Jesus uses the word remain 11 times between verses 4 and 10? 11 times. The contrast between remaining and not remaining is is stark. So go to chapter 15, John 15, and look to verse 5. It's the difference between much fruit or nothing. Or no fruit at all. So verse 5. He will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. It's the difference between abundance of life. Or destruction. In verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me. He is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up. Thrown into the fire and burned. It's the difference between having a life. Filled with answered prayers. And not having a God at all. Who listens to you. In verse 7. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Much fruit or no fruit, life or destruction, answered prayer or silence, are the differences being attached to Jesus makes. It makes all the difference. So, what does it mean then to be attached to Christ? In a way, I think Jesus uses a metaphor of the vine and the branches to point to the fact that we can't actually fully explain away what this means. There's a, there's a transcendent dimension, a spiritual, mystical dimension to it. Something that we can't fully grasp. We, can't really, don't, we don't really understand completely what it means to remain in Christ. However, there are clues in this text. And I see four themes um, that Christ returns to again and again in this passage. And first, is found in verses 1 and 2. Remaining in Christ means that we, are, we will be pruned and God will cleanse us. Verse 1 and 2. I am the vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does not bear fruit, um, He prunes so that He, he will be even more pru- uh, fruitful. I'm um, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> the attached branch. Uh, the unattached branch will be thrown away. But a sign of remaining in Christ is that God will prune or cleanse us. In verse three, you have already, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. For those of you who are not into gardening, pruning means that um, chopping off leaves and branches that are unnecessary or outgrown so that it can be even more fruitful. Or it can increase. It can grow. For example, um, uh, and God does this in, in many different ways. And for example, um, God might want you to maybe grow in patience. And actually, God doesn't sprinkle you with magic dust named patience over you and you become more patient. There's a If God wants you to grow in patience, God will put you in difficult circumstances (laughs) with difficult people around you so that you grow more in patience. That is why pruning, I think, is such a great metaphor for what it is because even cutting away bits that you don't like about yourself, even growing in a way that is good, is actually painful. It's pruning. It's painful. Pruning involves surgery. But in the end, that patience is good that God will grow great fruits out of that experience. And although God certainly does this in our lives, our passage points to a specific way that God prunes. In verse 3, once again, you are already clean or pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus speaks about the cleansing or pruning power of of God's word, and pruning and cleansing, really, cleaning, is the same word in Greek. And you might be tempted to think now that that means that reading God's word, the Bible, cleans you automatically, as if it's sort of this shower that you take each morning. Um, I don't think this is what Jesus means, because I don't think that's pruning. It would just be showering. There's no pain involved in showering. Unless you really, really hate showering, and I know some of you, I'm I'm sure do. (laughs) There is no, there is, there is pain involved in pruning. And the main tool God uses to chip away the bits that is not good in us and to grow fruit in us is through God's word. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And what is left? of us after God's pruning work is ourselves ourselves completely defined by God's word completely shaped by God's word the bits that do not conform to it have been cut away and what remains is you shaped by God's word and that is what I think also Jesus means in verse 7 of our chapter if you go down verse 7 if you remain in me and my words remain in you And that word remain uh, has the same root as the words to stay or to live. He is saying, if you live in me, and my words live in you. And living in God's word would certainly shape us and prune us and cleanse us, wouldn't it? Chewing on God's word, reflecting on it and contemplating it, praying it would shape us and cleanse us remaining in god's word would prevent us from sinning constantly for god speaks through his word if you have the bible passages memorized in your in your mind it will speak to you it will living in god's word would motivate us to live for god wouldn't it for his dynamic word will speak to us and in us when we're placed in tough situations Living in God's word would help us to fight Satan and all the temptations around us. It would also ground us in the values of God's kingdom. Help us to love each other in the way that Jesus loved and rejoice even when circumstances are bleak. That is the power of God's word and that is the way God prunes us. If we live in God's word and God's law of word lives in us, these words would be our guide our thoughts, our motivation, our vision. And when we study diligently diligently, our minds and hearts are immersed in them. It will cleanse us. And this isn't easy, because it's pruning. And paring away parts about yourself, even the parts that you don't like, is painful. But it's necessary, because we're made to bear God's fruit. And for those who remain in Christ, God will cleanse us through his word. And the second sign of a person living in relationship with Christ is her obedience. So look to verse 10 there. 10. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Our being in relationship with Jesus is characterized by our obedience to him. And some of you, especially the young, younger ones here, I imagine, You might be annoyed at this. Obeying is something that um, a slave does to a master. Or a private to a general. It sounds rigid and harsh. And these are not words that we often associate with Jesus. We call him our friend. And actually, that's what Jesus calls us as well. So look to verse 15. I no longer call call you servants. Servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. And there is no greater privilege than God Almighty calling you a friend. And that is what we are, friends of God. A master doesn't tell his slave what uh, his plans. Obedience is just expected without any explanation. But Jesus considers us his friends, and he's revealed his plans to his disciples and to us through, the, uh, through Scripture. But not only that, to demonstrate his love, he has died for us. In verse 13, He laid down His life, for He loves us as friends. And there is no greater love than that. So that was verse 13. But if you look to verse 14, the very next verse, Jesus then commands His friends to obey Him. In verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command. We must understand that God calls us His friends, but these, this isn't friendship of equals. I'm glad that you can say, some of you can say, Jesus is my best friend, because it shows that you have a relationship with Jesus, and that is good. But you must never think that Christ ceases to be God when He becomes your friend. That you can always be safe around Christ. In the high Anglican church tradition, I love the fact, actually, the priests ministers bow a little when, whenever the name of Jesus is mentioned. So if you go to a high Anglican ch- church, they'll say, whenever if they say Jesus, they'll bow a little. Because it shows their reverence towards Christ. In the age people use the name of our Lord as curse word, it's safe to say we've lost our reverence towards Christ. We often reduce Jesus to our buddy, our best friend, and fail to think of him as Lord and our king, he calls us his friends, but he's still our God. And our relationship has to be defined by obedience to him. In C.S. Lewis's Chronicle of Narnia, the first, uh, Mr. Beaver uh, describes Aslan, the God, uh, God figure in the book. So let me just read you a little excerpt um, from the book. This is Mr. Beaver talking to Lucy. Well, Lucy "'Is he a man?' asked Lucy. "'Aslan, a man?' said Mr. Beaver sternly. "'Certainly not. "'I tell you, he's the king of the woods "'and son of the great emperor beyond the sea. "'Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? "'Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion.' Ooh, said Susan, "'I thought he was a man. "'Is he quite safe? "'I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion.' That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mr. Beaver, Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslam without, without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver, don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is Good. He's the king, I tell you. He is our friend. But he is also our king. King over our lives. And obedience has to mark our relationship to him. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. But there is that saving grace. The word love, isn't there? Our obedience is inspired by love. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life, life for his friends. The fact is that, that obedience inspired by fear will run out quickly. But obedience inspired by, by love will not. We listen to him because we have the cross in our sight. We obey Him because we can't think of a greater love than the one that our King has shown us by laying down His life for us. We obey Him because our King calls us friends. And if remaining in Christ marks our relationship uh, with God with obedience. It marks our relationship with each other in love. So if you look to verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. And this culture, everywhere these days, is filled with language of love. But often, love is used to mask our selfishness, I think. To use people towards our own means. People confess their love to one another to get what they want. I mean, just a little, little example of this is people saying something like, well, I love you. Could you give me a glass of water? <laughs> we also love each other when everything's going well. When things are most convenient to us. We're also very selective about who we love. But we aren't told to love each other in the way that we want to love one another. Christ defines this love for us. We're told to love um, each other, you know, in in the hardest way possible, in the most selfless way possible, in the way that Christ loved us. Love each other as I have loved you. There are easy people to love in our family and workplaces, and even in this church. And we love them because they're lovable. Janikin is one of them. (laughs) He's lovable. (laughs) But that's not how Christ loved us. There are people that most of us, I think, here, there are people here who are difficult to love. That's most of us. It's not easy to love the awkward people, the hurt people, cocky people, the loud people, the quiet people, shy people, envious people, insecure people. That's most of us, isn't it? at least at times. But we are to love each other because that is the kind of love that Christ has shown us, the kind of love Christ calls us to embody. We don't love when it's just convenient for us to love either. And anyone who has a, has a, has a child knows this. When a baby wakes up in the middle of the night, loving means waking up and going and feeding her Even when it's the most inconvenient thing that you can do in the middle of the night. God will call us to love um, at times when it's really, really inconvenient for us. But that self-sacrificial love of a mother, I think most resembles the love of Christ. The kind of love that we are to have for one another. We don't love because we're lovable we don't love because it's easy to love or when it's convenient to love but Christ calls us to love and lay down our lives for one another regardless of all those things love each other as i have loved you and loving is difficult and in a community community of sinners like this one is you will open yourself up in love But you will also hurt one another as you make yourself vulnerable. We will take advantage of one another and hurt each other. But don't love, don't stop loving when this happens. The moment before uh, chapter 15, um, we have uh, Jesus in the Last Supper in chapter 13. There Jesus gathered his disciples... And he gives the same command that we have in our text as well. So this is chapter 13, verse 24 to 25. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And we must must note the context here. Just before he gave this command, Judas just left him to betray him. Love one another. And just right after this command, he predicts Peter to deny him three times. But he loved Judas and Peter the same anyway. He died for them anyway. It's not easy. But love that the world cannot fathom is the fruit that we're to bear if we remain in Christ. And can you imagine what kind of a church this church would be? A Shatin church would be if we embodied that kind of love. Can you imagine people seeing us and seeing the love of Christ in us? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But, in trying to live in God's word... To obey Christ and to love one another by our own strength will only fail us. So Christ calls us to pray. And perhaps that is the most significant sign that we remain in Christ. A branch does not live by walking away from the vine and doing things with its own strength. It may go on for a bit. But in the long run, it will wither and die, only to be collected and be thrown into fire. A branch draws its strength from the vine, for it depends on the vine for sustenance. So we must pray. And this church must pray if we're attached to Jesus. So look to the extraordinary verse in chapter in verse 7, 15, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. And this isn't for our sake, but this is for God's glory, Jesus says. God will not spare any expenses in order for us to grow and bear fruit in our lives. And that promise is repeated again in verse 16. The Father will give us whatever we ask in his name. And this isn't uh, 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 the promise that God will be reckless with us. A child receiving everything he asks from his parents will turn out to be a disaster. But this is an extraordinary promise nonetheless. As long as we remain in Christ, as long as we pray in his name, meaning seeking his will, God will give us whatever we ask. So we must Depend on Him. We must remain in His Word and must seek His will and we must, most of all, pray. James tells us later in James 4.2, You do not ask, you do not have because you do not ask God. How much of our not having in this church comes from not asking, from not depending on Jesus Christ? And we just had our prayer meeting last Friday, and only a few people came, and that's fine. I know that people are busy, and there are um, uh, 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 things to do. But the prayer gathering might be the most important thing, thing we do as a church. For that is where we say, as a body, together, more than our wisdom, more than our strength, more than our collective creativity, and the goodness of all our programs, more than anything that we do as a church, Being attached to you and depending on you is the most important thing for us, Lord Jesus. That is what we say in prayer, isn't it? More than our might, more than anything that we do, depending on you is the most important thing that we can do. Prayer is a confession so we remain in Christ, that we're attached to Him. That we draw our strength from Him. The thing is, if we remain in Christ, we will bear fruit. Because fruit, fruit bearing isn't a test of our discipleship, it's a byproduct. It happens. Just as a couple grow to be more like one another, I think they start growing to be looking like one another. Christ likeness is what happens to people who spend time with him, who are attached to him, who remain in him. Fruit bearing is a byproduct. But let's do remain in him. Remain in his word, obey him, love each other, and pray. We read from Isaiah chapter five Verses 1 and 2, I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. You know, that story had a bad ending in Isaiah, but it has a guaranteed happy ending now. For God sent his son so that we may be branches in him bearing much fruit. Amen.